Welcome back to Winning with Connections, the WWC Global Podcast. In honor of Native American Heritage Month, we have a very special guest, one of my favorite people, John Panameroff, JP, who is now the CEO of Command Holdings, which is a Pequot company. And he is himself a Native Alaskan with also some Native American heritage. He'll tell you a little bit about that in this uh, in this podcast. Has a great story and is really doing amazing things for the tribal program within the 8A program for government contracting. So great story. Can't wait to share it with you. So we have JP John Panameroff here with us. And in honor of National Native American History Month, we have the benefit of his wisdom, his experience, and, and his personal experience having grown up as a tribal member here on the podcast. John, welcome. Thank you, Donna. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So at the moment, you are the CEO for Command Holdings, which is the holding company for the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, for sure. So Command Holdings, as you just mentioned, uh, we are a holding company. But more specifically, we are a Section 17 uh, corporation. Um, a Section 17 corporation is a de- an IRS designation that is given to tribal uh, can be given to tribal companies when applied to through the federal government, allowing for tribal nations to develop uh, corporate entities. These corporate entities are given the benefits of uh, a number of the tribal benefits because of the government to government relationship and. I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we talk about native contracting and uh, why this is so important to our communities. But again, those tribes and and the federal government always uh, look at their relationship again as a peer government to government type of relationship and more of a modern context. But we are a Section 17 corporation, which allows us, again, to keep a corporate structure. And the tribal nation developed us really to be very business focused. Because uh, as a nation, and I'm sure as anyone can think through this, you have a lot of things that you really have to start to look through. You have all of your infrastructure, you have education, you have a lot of public safety. And one of the areas that they wanted is they wanted an area of economic development. So, again, they're looking for ways to be able to fund those. And so they created the holding company, Command Holdings, to look at off-reservation businesses, be that federal contracting, professional services, and other areas to really be able to import uh, wealth for essential services back into the nation. So is it fair to say that Command Holdings exists primarily to support the tribe and grow assets for the tribe? 100 percent. That, that's a, that's our, our sole kind of mission with, with some caveats to, to that. Again, our sole mission is to, to provide uh, economic self-determination for the nation um, the way I kind of look at it is this way. You know, if you're thinking about a standard municipality or a state or a county government, a lot of ways that you develop some of your uh, taxation bases, again, through taxes uh, to your businesses, your localized economies, when you're looking at a business infrastructure, um, our reservations in, in a lot of cases are very rural or have a smaller infrastructure type of area. So these corporations like the Command Holdings, all of our dollars go back into public services, like I said, roads, arts, museums, language programs, uh, central core water treatment plants. And so we kind of consider ourselves a way of providing those dollars and cents 
and almost a, a way of monetizing um, those essential government functions back into the nation as uh, we go out and provide services. Additionally, it builds a business ecosystem within the localized economy within the nation. And then third, it's helping us provide next generations because we have a seven generation approach at Command Holdings to uh, provide careers and jobs and uh, next generation because so many of us, including myself, grew up in extreme poverty and didn't have an education system. And many of us, you know, are first generation college graduates. And so this is a way that we can not only pay for college and early adolescent um, development. It's a way that we can also then provide careers and career development and, and, and job placement so they can eventually grow up to get positions like myself. And I'm a product of, of, of that situation. I've heard a little bit about that. I'd like to hear more. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and the path that brought you to this position of leadership at Command Holdings. Yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting one. I, I grew up. I was I was born up in Kodiak Island. Uh, that's where my tribe is. I'm I'm Supiakalutik, so I'm uh, duly enrolled with the Shunak tribe of Kodiak Island and the native village of Afognak, which is a, a an adjacent island uh, to Kodiak there I'm in the Pacific Ocean, just south of the Kenai Peninsula, so kind of south central Alaska. Um, I'm also Choctaw, Oklahoma, from my mom's side through my heritage. I'm not enrolled there. But because, again, I grew up in Alaska, knowing uh, much more of my customs and cultures uh, back home. But grew up in, in, in an unfortunate, all too common story. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was uh, one or two years old. Very severe alcoholism, both sides of my family, uh, both my parents. So they, they split up pretty young. And I uh, grew up, like I said, pr- pretty, pretty rural, pretty, pretty poor. I, w- I believe I think I, w- I counted at one time. I think I went to nine different elementary schools, including being homeschooled. I grew up for about a seven year period with uh, no running water, or electricity in my home. So very old school, you know, the kerosene lamps carrying the honey bucket out to the outhouse uh, kind of situation. You know, having moose meat packed in a ice pack out front with cream of wheat, and that's all you had for a two, two, three day period, just trying to figure out how those things uh, kind of work through. But, you know, I say that and again, had a lot of struggles, but I, I was very fortunate that I always felt loved and, and, and always felt a support system, even though, um, you know, there were struggles as we went through that. I ended up leaving the home at about 15 and I got very lucky that I was good at sports and grew up again, logging, commercial fishing, started commercial fishing when I was in sixth grade. So, again, uh, figured out ways of, you know, kind of starting that career path and sports and, and being in a professional work setting definitely gave me a good work ethic starting out young, but moved out when I was 15 due to the luck of uh, having a great older brother. We unfortunately have a lot of uh, fathers that are are very absent in our community. I think that's getting a little better as we've seen some generations of uh, that. I know I'm a very active father uh, these days, so we've seen those kind of things as we've gone forward and kind of been able to to develop that. But ended up uh, going to school, getting uh, getting an opportunity to play college football up at Eastern Washington University. Go Eagles. Sorry, got a little plug there. <laughs> I think they're ranked uh, number five in the nation for uh, – one double A or F division one FCS right now. So uh, having another good football year. And once I got out of school, um, you know, and again, had pretty good grades, realized that, you know, there was a big opportunity. And a lot of that was uh, through scholarships and education. And my native corporation, just like the Pequots and so many of our 574 federally recognized tribes, 
and tribal organizations out there, we have scholarships. I actually sit as the chairman for the Cognac or president of the Cognac Education Foundation back home, and we give out hundreds to millions of dollars a year. I think we've, in the last uh, 10 years, given out over $6 million in Native American scholarships to our youth. And again, I'm a product of those scholarships, and now I get the honor of chairing that that foundation and our endowment that we grow and distribute out. But got very lucky because, you know, I didn't know that I could really uh, have that experience and development and our Native Corporation uh, and our our tribes stepped up and that's why I give back. I was working once for uh, Bank of America and uh, had a very good finance economic career going. And uh, one of my aunties came back to me and my middle name is Deacon. And so she said, hey, Deke, uh, after you blew your knee out playing college football, uh, didn't we pay for the rest of that undergraduate graduate education? I said, <laughs> yeah. She said, so what are you doing for us? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I've uh, dedicated my life to Native American economic development and finance uh, ever since. So that's how I got here, guys. Sorry, I know that might be a little long winded, but it's a it's a, a story of, you know, not, not pity, but of resilience. And, and now it's uh, it's it's our it's our opportunity as leaders to, to pay that forward and, and grab as many opportunities because no child should pay for you know, the struggles of their parents and getting an opportunity to give a hand up instead of a handout will, you know, uh, help a, a family and, and a legacy. And, and that's one of the things I love about your eyes and WWC and see what you do with veterans and, and the families and military spouses and all of that. And that's why uh, one of the reasons I agreed to do this podcast, because of that camaraderie and that synergy of making sure that we continue to pay that forward. It really, I, I just love that story. And I love that sort of you know, that circle of you growing up in, in what I think you described as typical conditions for someone in the tribe and being able to, through the love around you, the community of the tribe, through all sorts of other levers, get to where you are independent, effective, and available to come back and do the same for that next generation. That's beautiful. I know Lauren wants to ask a lot of questions about the business, so I'll pass this over to her now. Yeah, so so John, it's interesting to me, having grown up now as an 8A, right, a traditional kind of small business 8A, you as a tribe have a different status as a super 8A. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what that looks like, how that differs from the 8A program itself? Because this to me is, a, we learned this fairly late in our, in our kind of 8A status game as we were learning 8A, and then these, these tribal nations, these tribal firms had very different opportunities. What does that look like? Yeah, super 8A. I don't know what that's called, Lauren, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, as an entity owned 8A, um, you're absolutely right. And, and I know why they, they we get those designations, and, and, and I get it. And I get it from both sides. And, and I I think that, you know, there, there's regulation reasons why there's nuance there. And I'll try not to get too long winded in my explanation there. But there, there's definitely a difference. And I think there's a structural difference. And, and, and I, I believe hopefully I can kind of walk us through why those differences are a little bit important. I'll start with saying I love entrepreneurship. I, I love entrepreneurship. And I think that is the the, the lifeblood of, of America and what we do in commerce. I think as business leaders around the world, I, I love seeing that. 
Lauren and and again Donna, I know you guys are big proponents and both have uh, high level graduate educations. You know, I'm I'm doing the same myself, and I'm actually an adjunct faculty now. I don't I think that's something new you might not know. I'm teaching tribal economics as uh, uh, for the masters in public administration over at Evergreen College, and and we talk through you know how these business ecosystems kind of look both at a tribal nation within the states within the the macro federal international kind of business ecosystem. But, you know, when you're looking at an individual 8A, right, you know, you, you can get direct awards, you can get areas. And, and really, these are incubation programs that allow for individuals because the federal uh, federal procurement process has, has gotten a little bit wonky. And it, uh, personally, and, it, and there's a lot of red tape and, and there's reason for that red tape because there's been bad actors. And as we all know, the federal government. They don't delete regulations, FARs, DFARs, <laughs> DCAA compliance. They just continue to add to it, right, to, to try to correct things that, that have been out there. But, you know, the essence of the 8A is really to drive and develop that 8A and that entrepreneur. Well, um, we got very uh, lucky in the early days of uh, kind of travel development for the ANCs. We didn't really have gaming, right, because, again, under the Alaska Claims Settlement Act in 1971, we were structured under a corporate structure. That's the the when you hear people talk about ANCs, so that that's your Alaska Native corporations. I mean, that came out because of oil, right? And so those structures came out, but we weren't able to take take into account some of the different nuances like gaming. So we needed opportunities, and we had some senators, Ted Stevens, a lot of Alaskans call him Uncle Ted. You had. Don Young from the congressional side. You had both Murkowski's, Lisa and her and her father before her, really, you know, uh, that have been strong proponents of developing that. But we needed an opportunity to kind of get that hand up, not that hand out. And they saw this 8A program and said, well, if we're trying to develop entrepreneurship and looking at ways for the federal government to be able to help there, Maybe this 8A program can help some of our tribal or native entities, being that we have kind of a corporate, not kind of, there's a a corporate structure here, and some of them are doing these types of professional services. Well, that blossomed into getting into the 8A program. But when you think about a tribal entity, I had mentioned infrastructure, roads, and and a lot of people, private entrepreneur or a, a small business they have a threshold for like a direct award about four million, but a lot of times that goes to one, two people. So let's say one, two, maybe three families that goes through. I'll take my native corporation, uh, Cognac, Alaska Native Corporation. We have, you know, over 4,000 shareholders or tribal members. And if you count the descendants, so who I'd consider a tribal side, you're talking about 8,000. So the federal government said, since you're looking at these different structures and you're looking at that, it it actually has to get spread out through a community and the entity is actually there for the betterment of the community side, we're going to raise those thresholds. So our thresholds have went up significantly. So for an individual it's a four million for a direct award for Department of Defense. It, it can be a direct award up to 100 million. And within the civilian agency, it can be a direct award for up to 25 million. But again, this is in John Panamarov's company keeping those dollars. Those dollars do go back into those those larger communities. Now, is there a way that you may want to create different programs because do they exactly fit? I don't know. And I think that's a conversation I've had with some of our legislature and things and something that 
would be worth looking into. But right now, that's kind of the structure that we live in. But it does give us a competitive advantage. I, I would be lying if I said it didn't. Sure. But the means are to get that back to the larger pool because this is kind of like social responsible investment, SRIs, right? This is a because we're, we're really there designed for the betterment of a larger community. And our dollars are going into areas like if you look at our villages out in Alaska, if you're looking at some of our native Hawaiian organizations and where they're at working. And some of even our reservation based systems there in some of our most rural areas. And a lot of our communities still are facing 60, 70 percent unemployment. And so it, it's really trying to combat that. And uh, we invest a ton of dollars into those uh, rural areas areas. So sorry, a little long winded on that. But um, so so that's kind of the justification. But we absolutely do, you know, see some of those uh, those benefits as we go forward. Well, and it does make sense from a public policy perspective. Right. This makes sense, as as you said, a hand up instead of a handout for those opportunities to do that economic development in a way that is is not you know, BIA giving specific programs, but, but hey, take this, do something good for the government, do something supportive of, you know, Department of Defense or Department of State or, you know, wherever, and, and do it well and give back to that tribal nation in a different way and then then a, a traditional government program. So it makes sense from a you know I'm po- I'm a policy wonk by training. Makes <laughs> sense from a public policy perspective, right? Much more so and it it is much more of a return on investment than I, I would say, you know, some of the the other programs. Not that the other programs aren't necessary, critically necessary for for a number of reasons, but this is this is another tool in the toolkit. So when, you know, and again, I, I you're right, I, Super 8A is not a formal term, although it is the term I think I hear <laughs> most yeah, often. Yeah. Um, I just had to tease Lauren, I had to tease. I don't know. You, oh, you can tease me all you want, I'm good. Um, <laughs> but the tribal entity within the 8A program has gotten a bad rap in a lot of respects. I think sometimes rightfully so, oftentimes probably not rightfully so. I think there are maybe some less effective entities and some more effective entities. But, you know, in talking to you over the last uh, year or so, as you've been setting up command holdings and really looking to build it, you're looking at doing something different here. I think you're looking at seeing what the tribal 8A program has looked like before and building something new and different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree with you. You know, I mean, just like any any community, to, to there's going to be bad actors, right, or people that are going to take the, the easy route. And again, every time something happens where somebody's, you know, living in the gray area or, you know, just might not be doing something right. That's when, you know, new legislation, new regulatory type of things pop up, you know. And so early on, you did see a lot of people in, 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 in both sides, you know, from the tribal side and from the large business that tried to take advantage of these programs. Right. They used the tribal programs as shells. Right. And basically just used them as pass throughs. And there was no work share and there was no 
really kind of generational uh, pass through of knowledge. There was really no mentor proteges going on. There was really no development of the companies themselves to where really the infrastructure and how to do the business was there. It was just, hey, I'll give you a few percentage points if I can run it this way and I get to bypass the RFP process. And, And then that's not what this thing was designed for. Right. And so that's where these regulations came. Now, sometimes when these regulations come in, can they be a little hard handed, especially when 97 percent are doing it right? Yeah, it can. And then that's when we go back and, and talk. And um, I, do, I have, do have to say, you know, there's there's individuals um, at the SBA that are very fair minded. And uh, I won't say their names, but I hope they know who I talk to a lot. And, and I think they they really are trying to think through how these areas go forward. But, you know, from a command holding standpoint, really what we're trying to do is we're, we're, we're taking a seven generation approach. And the reason we're taking that kind of 200 year approach is because, again, we want something that's sustainable and long term and, and developing. We are looking to not just be a good federal contractor. We don't want to just be an 8A contractor. We're not just trying to be the best 8A contractor. We're trying to be a, a federal partner of choice. We want to be a blue chip, right? Something that has been uh, seen. And when the federal government looks at them, they just have that comfort that they can look at. And when they see command holdings or a Pequot company, they look at at it and they think just like Lockheed, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, the kind of institution that, you know, understands that and has the kind of CPARs that are designed and developed that has, you know, an understanding of how we're going to do things designed from the PMBOK and, and, and understanding what PMI is set for project management that has all of our CMMIs, our ISOs, and and making sure that we're uh, industry leaders when it comes to innovation spikes and, and really being able to, to drive and develop that to really make sure we're doing that. And the reason and the way that we're doing this is we're going and finding out the best partners of choice. And mm-hmm. we're finding those individuals uh, from kind of a, multi- a multitude of, of approaches. One is, uh, again, from your traditional teaming partnerships. Another is through uh, merger and acquisition and making sure that we can build those. Obviously, we have organic growth and and development. And the fourth is um, really making sure that uh, we we set up uh, kind of consortiums or or business ecosystems even after we have that. Because, again, this is a large pie. This is a large development. Uh, We've seen, you know, historical growth within federal, state, municipality. I've seen different stats, but I think most people kind of. Most economists can agree that, you know, some form of government, be that, you know, from this tribal municipality all the way to the federal government, some form of GDP spending is somewhere between around like 37 to like 43 percent, just depending on where that's at. So to be able to live in that market segment, you have to be best in class. And so what we're trying to design is something that, yes, will allow us to, you know, not be pretentious and say we wouldn't use our competitive advantages when there are availability. But we want to make sure that those areas are sustainable uh, long term. And the way we're going to do that is through our people. And, and building and being one of those organizations where people say, I want to work there. Not, oh, I might get a job over there that people start to seek out because of the corporate culture. And that'll be designed by our leadership team and the executives that we plan to build and, and, and develop over here. Because at the end of the day, we're a professional services group. And so without the right people, you know, it doesn't really matter because that won't build sustainability and build that corporate culture that we're really trying to design. 
You know, it's funny. When we first started talking, I got introduced to you. I think technically you had just, I, I don't know where you were in the, the process, but it was barely into command holdings when, when you and I started chatting. Uh, yeah. And that struck me that the, the way that you talk about this in a lot of respects is the way that we've always talked about WWC, right? Yeah. We as a company happen to have a day status and don't get me wrong. I we've leveraged it, mm-hmm. right? We've learned how to leverage it effectively. We've learned how it is useful to our customers, how it allows for new growth opportunities that allow for our staff to move around all of those, those pieces, but that it was an, Oh, by the way, or an, Oh, nice to have, but that the corporate culture, the, the driving force of actually delivering, because the same way that tribal eight A's have, have been painted sometimes with a, a bad brush, regular eight A's have been as well. Right. I, I mean, we got all the time when we were talking to people, Oh, you're an eight A. No, no, we're not that kind of eight A. Right. Like we're not, we, we actually deliver, and we just happen to be an 8A. So when you get the, the requirement and you know you want us because you know that we're going to be the best at doing it and you have the, the funding, it's the easy button for a direct award if you don't have enough time to do it or if it's, you know, the, the competitive environment might drive to a less than optimal solution, then that 8A status becomes a nice to have. But it struck me in talking to you and the way that you're seeing command holdings, that you're looking the same way, that you're looking to have that status and not shy away from it, leverage you know, the, the opportunities, particularly for your customers, but also for your, your nation yep. to be able to do that in a way. I, I, you, you talked early about the seven generation strategy, and I love the way you look at it, because again, it's the the same way that we've, as a firm, looked at the long-term relationships. Now, I can't say that we're a seven-generation company, because I'm Donna and I are in the middle of our careers and don't necessarily have seven generations to build this company, but it is is very similar in terms of the long-term relationship-building horizon of credibility rather than this very transactional, give me the contract because I have this status, as opposed to you want me, you want us, you want what we bring, and you can get it because we, we you can get it easier because we have this status. So that flip of a switch really was something that drew me to talking to you as we as we started looking at what you guys were building and the status that you had, but understanding kind of where you were going to fit in that ecosystem really intrigued me. Well, I appreciate it, Lauren, and and, and vice versa. You know, just, you know, hearing you and Donna's story and the tenacity that you had that (laughs) I'll get it done and I'll get it done better. (laughs) One door pretends it's closed. I'll um, either walk through the other door or I'm going to crawl through the window and unlock it. (laughs) I really like that. And and, and I love that. And and I love the, the community aspect of what you've driven in. 
And I have to give credit to, to the nation that I work for and what drew me to, again a year ago to come to work for the Pequots. Um, you know, what Pequots looking for, again, because of the long term perspective, is they are looking for uh, the best of the best. They're looking, uh, be it tribal or not, you know, be it that they want to bring in the the, the best in class. So even if they, um, um, you know, as we build succession plans or as we build that next generation, like I was talking about the honor I've had in my educational platform, that we can get mentors that are absolutely not just, you know, on paper, the best quality, but the best quality of character that really fits, you know, that corporate culture of uh, sharing and giving and, and being part of a larger community. And and that goes, and I think uh, Pequot has shown this and will continue to show this, for generations to come is they're really serious about partnering and, and being part of a larger um, business ecosystem and, and developing those larger strategies where a lot of groups try to um, and, I, and it's it's kind of ironic that our name has command in it, but that try to command everything and control everything. They, they want to be able to uplift that, but instead creating the ecosystem. And, and you're starting to see that with, you know, some of the academic sides of the kind of the evolution of uh, dynamic capabilities that was really based off a of resource based value and, and, and how those dynamic capabilities, especially as we continue to become more of an IT based uh, type of environment and a service based economy. And I think you guys are primed for that future. And uh, I'm so excited to see where command goes, but I'm also very, very excited to see see where WWC uh, continues to thrive because I don't think I can get on LinkedIn without seeing something awesome you guys are doing weekly. So uh, kudos to that. I I love that you always like my posts. It makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not just a cyber stalker. I I have to like it if I actually saw it. So, you know, (laughs) I was like, come on, man, if you like, if you like it, like it. I appreciate that. You're, you're very, uh, you're very active on LinkedIn. And I, I, you know, but truly watching what, what, Pequot is doing, watching what you're building there is really cool. And I'm 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 loving watching it from from the outside and just seeing where you're gonna go. You, your your energy is infectious, it's contagious, and makes me excited to kind of watch and see you build this thing. Well, thank you again. It's because uh, I have good good teammates, and again, appreciate the and feel the exact same way about you guys. Thank you. Um, I think you know the the challenge before you is when you're talking about hundred million dollar contracts and probably the size and scale that you're talking about when you're talking about seventh generation um, is really making me think, you know, first of all, I, I echo Lauren in saying that I love hearing about your firm and I love hearing about your culture because, as you said, we are mission driven and it becomes so much easier to run a firm and so much easier to develop develop a culture when you're mission driven, because everything needs to make sense under that umbrella. And that's that's kind of a discipline that most businesses that are just for profit businesses are not going to have. So that's a really great way and frankly, a great you know, philosophical shortcut into building an effective business. The other thing I want to say is on, on the topic of culture, I think we told you this. When we started the firm, we just ended up, we had military spouses around us and and they tended to be kind of consistently wonderful. And as we started hiring them, we realized, wait a minute, okay, we got lucky with this first three, but what did we do right to get lucky? And we started going back and and doing a whole lot of sort of self-audit as we grew the business in recruitment, in management, in processes, in different approaches to contracting officers, in different approaches to motivating people. 
And one of the things that we've had to do in recent years that has been so interesting, not entirely easy, but very, very interesting is, and I, and I need to credit Heidi Snell, who's uh, the third partner in the firm for really taking the culture that I think mm-hmm. we got lucky with because of our first hires, because of our values, but taking those and codifying and institutionalizing them so that everybody around the 24 locations where we operate feels it and understands that they are valued and every customer understands that they are valued and not just right now when things are growing going well but also maybe when things aren't going well mm-hmm. you know and 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 so that seventh generation investment uh, you know it goes both ways both to the customers and to the employees. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see you build that. Well, really appreciate it, Donna. And, and, and again, I see that with you guys too. You know, you mentioned Heidi and, and I love that you guys, you know, her, her, her title's the chief people officer, right? And it shows the value of, of what you put and, and it shows that you guys are very cognizant of wanting to, you know, find the right people and, and make that. But I, what, what really intrigued me also to what you just said, Donna, is, you guys talked about repeatable processes and and what I've really enjoyed watching and getting to know you guys is the the internal process of and I think this is something for anybody listening to the podcast, especially if you're a small business that's wanting to emulate the success that you guys have had at WWC Global, is that you weren't just trying to get the CMMIs and the ISOs just so you could rubber stamp something. You were building a repeatable process. So you again, it was something that was transferable. It was something that you could do if you were doing work in Saudi Arabia, if you were doing it there in Tampa, Florida, or if you're doing it in Seattle, Washington. That allowed the group to be seen that when WWC was performing and developing and doing the work that it was, it was living up to the standards and qualifications that you guys were selected for. And and I love that. And, and again, I think that's why you'll be sustainable and you have a platform that, again, allows however you decide to you know continue to develop and, and grow that that will allow for that expansive growth and to see that, you know, an 8A program really was designed to incubate a company to mm-hmm. take in those next steps and to really, um, you know, grow and, and, and continue the trajectory. And, and I see that at you guys. So, again, I, I love that you guys really take that part serious because I've seen too many companies that are like, oh, I'll get my CMMI and we'll do the absolute bare minimum. Now, I admit, you know, you don't want to you want to do things right, not righteous at some time so you can overdo things too much but again you guys take a lot of pride in doing things um the the right way and th- there's not a lot of shortcuts to just hard work and getting it done and and i've always taken you know getting to know you and you should take a lot of pride because you've rolled up your sleeves and just gotten it done and, and there's no substitute for that and it absolutely shows thank you I'll tell you what, you know, you have these tiny, small victories at work every day. For me, the small victory is that when something unusual happens and we find out that our program manager responded saying, well, I'm not sure how leadership is going to respond, but, you know, in my view, X, Y, and Z. And then it turns out that the head of our program management office got the same fact pattern and said, oh, well, you know, we'll make sure to, to to fleet this through all the different specialists within the firm. But I think the answer is X, Y, and Z. And and the greatest thing is for me is when you have inculcated into the entire firm from top to bottom, basically the same responses about what the organization stands for and doesn't stand for. And I get like a little thrill when I hear that 
you know, they said exactly what I would have said and what Lauren would have said and what Heidi would have said. It is really cool. It's, it's the way that you take something that you use to control directly and now you just build it out so that you're indirectly controlling a much larger organization that can do so much more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and you're absolutely right, Donna. And, and, you know, if you, it, you know, I know we're talking kind of this interblend between culture and business. And again, we can take it back even back to the community side of what we're doing. And, and again, being Native American Heritage Month, what we're trying to do is also build those repeatable processes. Um, and again, uh, relearning in some cases, it's our, you know, it's our, it's our culture. It's our art. It's that uh, we give a lot of money back to our 501c3s. I don't know if you guys know this, but at Pequot, we have the largest Native American museum in the world, right? And so uh, up there, yes. award-winning, they just won. <laughs> and so we'd love to have you guys come up and visit that, and we'll give you a private tour. But, you know, I relearned my language. You know, we uh, for Cognac, we, uh, for Supiak Alutic, so to learn our, our native tongue, uh, we actually have even worked with University of Alaska university system. So I took mine through an online course at the uh, Kodiak Community College. And so by relearning those things, again, it's just like the repeatable processes that you have at business. If you're constantly repeating those processes, getting out of generational post-traumatic stress and saying, I can't do it. But now that belief of I can do it. And Lauren, that goes back to that side of saying, you know, when I'm working with the federal government, instead of be seen as a ward of the state from the Marshall Trilogy, and we were noble savages that didn't get economics. Now we're teaching that we are part of that process. We are part of that solution that strengthens our government to government relationship as we have that. Now we have pride in in being able to develop that not only in our workplace, but into our home and our children. And it just becomes continuity. And then when you talk about individuals that have that pride in, in the company itself, not just the paycheck, but really, you know, live the brand and live that corporate culture. That's few, true fusion and integration of how we do this. And, and, and you can do that with the tribal people, but you also can do that just with all your teammates and all your employees and really build that family of companies and that family of, of business. Because too many times we're, we're too transactional at work and, 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 you know, sometimes you got people that don't want to be on the team. But when you find those real teammates, which I think you guys are really good at finding, you want to hold on to them because that's really what makes you a good success. Absolutely. Yeah, no, JP, every time every time you talk, I get jumpy and excited and, and inspired because you're exactly right. It is exactly right. So I, I really appreciate your vision for for the Pequot tribe and and for what that can do for government contracting. Well, appreciate it. And again, I have to give credit to my board, you know, from Angelina Casanova Bell, my my chair and and Brian Hayes and and you know, it's interesting too, you know, one of the things that I I really appreciated is you have those two that are Pequot tribal members and leaders and uh, Brian's an executive at, at Foxwoods, uh, the the big mega casino that the nation owns. Angelina is actually the, the manager for the legislative affairs DC uh, DC office and again does a lot of advocacy there locally but the nation actually brought in two other tribal members but from other tribes throughout the nation that had other skill sets because they didn't want to get stuck in groupthink early on either 
And they also wanted a diversification of thought and development because it's about synergy, but it's also about challenging each other so we can stress test it in a good way. And so when you have that comfort level that you're all on the same team, you can speak freely and openly because you know you're trying to create the best product. And, you know, I think that's another important thing in, in finding people that compliment you, but also have other strengths because I got to be honest, I, I know how smart I am. I don't want to be the smartest person in that room. So <laughs> I need to surround myself around some, some really good people. So, <laughs> yep, so. Yep, yep. <laughs> you, you, you raise a really interesting point. I love hearing about the cooperation among the different tribes. And, and as you said, you're a member of the Sikpiat tribe, but you are representing the Pequot tribe at Command Holdings. Can you tell us a little bit about the relationships among the tribes and then maybe even among the tribes plus the federal government with which obviously the tribes have a complicated history? Yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely Donna. It's it's you know the tribes. It's a small community in in some regards. You know, we, we talk about six degrees of separation and knowing people well um, within our tribal communities. And and, and we do say this. This is we, we say within Indian country, we it's about one and a half degrees of separation. You know, because we all know each other, but we're all very spread out. You know, I mean, from the Seminoles in Florida to. The Yupiats up there in northern Alaska to the 110 plus tribes in California up to, you know, Pequot up there, Mashantuck Pequot um, up there in the northeast. We're geographically very spread out and we have a very diverse history, you know, so so we're to categorize everyone just as native. There are some ways that we're absolutely very similar, but we're very diverse and, and just kind of customs culture dating back from, you know, anthropologically, if we're a matrilineal, patrilineal. If we were nomadic, you know, again, living in a longhouse or uh, in, in Kodiak, Alaska was going to be a lot different than being Lakota and kind of living out there in the plains of uh, what is now the Dakotas. You know, we really, I think in the last 30 years, at least from what I've seen and from my elders, well, a couple of things that we've really started to bond around is is finding a commonality of voice for um, economic self-determination, really being able to know that we didn't want to be wards of the state, you know, that hold history with B uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs and, you know, having trust land where that all communal and, and having to work with interior in there. Uh, those relationships, uh, it, you know, are important, but they also can be strained at times. So that was something. And then sovereignty, being able to say, you know, within my community and within my cultures and customs, those things are very important. So you've seen very much an uprising of a lot of not-for-profit organizations or synergy groups. For example, like the National Congress of American Indians is a consortium of our tribes that actually get together. Dante is Desario is the executive director over there, and they we get together and we actually create and try to come together as, as a community to actually engage in in public policy forums. We have the Native American Contractors Association, which uh, we're uh, NACA is what we call it. We've been members of that. I was a treasurer of the board of directors for many years. I'm an alternate still there. One of our board members, Sean Hart, he's actually the treasurer right now. We get together ANCs, tribes, NHOs, again, talking about policy, hub zone, 8A. You know, you just saw probably with construction, the, the lightning of bona fide offices because of COVID and other things. So those are active policy areas that we'll, we'll go and push on. But we, we do try to come together to find where our commonality of voices, because to 
too many times we've seen groups try to fraction us and, and kind of pit ourselves against each other. I wrote an article that was in uh, Native News last year because I saw recently, unfortunately, rear its head again under the CARES Act, right? And they were saying ANCs can get it or shouldn't get it and tribes should only get it. And, and I'm not here to express any opinion I personally had because I personally saw both sides of the argument. But what, what was interesting for me is that we're allowing another government to decide how we were going to identify ourselves as indigenous, mm. right? Instead of us coming together to have a conversation on how we were going to identify ourselves as indigenous and then come to them now. And so I think that's an area of growth. We as a community still have to have, you know, like all humans, we're still evolving and developing ourselves. And I am by far no nowhere perfect. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like everyone else, except when I'm feeling really competitive and I try to jump into them both legs at a time. But that usually that doesn't end up very good. I usually bonk my head, but uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it, it's something that, you know, you're right. We, we, we do need to, you know, come together. But I do know that there is a strengthening of our community. There is a, a commonality of language while still identifying and being able to say, you know what, we do have differences. We do have areas that we might not agree, but still we're, what we're trying to do is have that discussion more amongst ourselves mm -hmm. than allowing, say, a federal government to decide how that is mm -hmm. uh, going to be decided on the onset. Right now, we still have to have that relationship. We're all American citizens. There is still that commonality. So I don't, I don't want to get in there. And, and to be honest, that side of it's away and above my pay grade because I'm not an elected official. I'm here for the economic development side. But, it, you know, policy and, and business coincide a lot. So it's something um, I'm very cognizant and I watch, but I don't get involved on that side of it unless it has to do with contracting or how we're working the, the director relationships. Yeah. You know what, though? You've been a leader in in the community in this stuff for years, really, since since you came out of college yourself and, and got involved. So, I, you know. It is incredible to see kind of what you've been able to do within the community. I, I think how the community is changing and what opportunities there are with some of the policy shifts that are that are coming down the pike now, what you can do within the tribal 8A rubric to do good for the tribes, to do good for the, the people. I you know, it's funny when when we said we needed to do a podcast. In honor of Native American History Month, I, it was you were the first person I, I thought of specifically because of your story, but also what you're doing for the broader community and what you're going to do in command holdings and how you, you've changed it. So, I mean, I, I'm so glad that we were able to do this on a podcast. I'm so glad every one of our listeners is able to hear kind of your story and 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 what your your next steps are here because I think it is really critical. I would tell all of our listeners to to watch Command Holdings because it is going to be a rocket ship. I have no doubt of that. Just from your energy alone, I forget all of the other strategy and all of the other, by sheer energy alone, JP, I think you're just going to plow through everything and make it happen. So we really appreciate you taking the time with us today. This has been a great conversation and a great way to honor the, the Native American tribes that have built so well this, this community that we have. So thank you for your time. 
Well, I, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, my only request next time is, you know, it's getting a little cold up north here. So next time I'd like to do it in person Come there because it's a little warmer. But I'm taking you up on, I, you know, I've seen the, the videos of the of the Pequot Museum. Incredible. And I can't wait to actually get up there. Maybe not in the winter. <laughs> my blood has definitely thinned since I moved to Florida, but I really want to take you up on on seeing that that museum in person because it really is incredible. So thank you again for your time. And I would tell our all of our, our listeners, just watch out because that's going to that there's going to be some some great things coming for command holdings and for your customers because of what you're doing. Well, appreciate it very much. We have some exciting stuff we're uh, trying to get done before the end of the calendar year in the next couple of days and weeks in the, these last two months. And we're excited and look forward to being your guys' partner for years to come. And again, watch the wonderful things that WWC is going to do as well. And uh, thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of the, the travel story, my story, and look forward to seeing you guys hopefully here in the very near future. Awesome. Thanks, JP. 